and welcome to Paint and Pride Quarterly Slush Pile. Those of you who listen all the time know how excited I get when we're doing something new, and we try to do something new almost every time. But today is extra, extra special. We have um, a very special guest uh, joining us, Adrian Tadzniga, and um, we'll go around and do the introductions and just let you know at the top, we're not going to be uh, reading and discussing work today. We're going to have a conversation instead about politics and art. Um, so, so without further ado, uh, we are still um, locked out of the sound studio due to heavy construction in the building where it is. So we are instead in my cinder block office, which I don't know if I've ever mentioned to you is painted transcendental blue. Um, and I chose the color solely for the name, since it was a cinder block office. Um, I direct the graduate program in publishing here, and um, and I guess that's enough about me. Uh, so with me in Philly today is Sarah Eichert. Hi everyone, my name is Sarah Eichert. I am a third year English major at Drexel University, and I'm currently working for Painted Bride Quarterly as the editorial assistant. Yes, she is. She's working hard. She's working good. She's doing it all. Um, and in New York, we have Jason Schneiderman. Hello. Um, I'm in my office in lovely Tribeca at the Borough of Manhattan Community College, um, where I am an associate professor. And I am senior, no, I'm associate editor at Painted Bride Quarterly as well. I'm, I'm associate all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Well, an associate's a good thing to be. Then you I'm don't have to direct. Jason? What color of shirt are you wearing? I am actually, usually I wear a white shirt. I wear, always just wear like a white button down because um, it, it's easy. But today I am wearing a kind of like gray plaid. Oh, I don't even know what made me ask. Yeah, okay. I just wanted to picture you even more better. So now I got my image. Um, and uh, our special guest is Adrian Todd Zuniga who we just figured out minutes before we start recording. Um, we've known each other since 2011. And um, Adrian is the uh, CEO and founder and developer of the Literary Deathmatch. And we, uh, Marion and I went to one because we were just so intrigued by the description and um, have been helping um, Adrian promote um, and staff, as it were, LDMs at AWP um, ever since, held several in Philly that were super fun as well. Um, Adrian, where are you? What are you wearing? What are you doing? Uh, I am in Los Angeles, and I'm not sure what area I'm in. I'm at a friend's house, and uh, I am I'm wearing jeans, uh, and that's it. No, uh, I'm also wearing a shirt. I usually wear a white shirt buttoned up as well. White is the color of openness and more people are likely to talk to you if you wear white, just a tidbit. But um, today I'm wearing this like sort of maybe purple with white striped shirt uh, and my usual black cardigan because I'm always chilly. Well, I'm proud of you for being dressed. You just got back from Australia yesterday and it's... it's 8 a.m. Yeah. for you right now yeah. in L.A. It is, but I woke, I was up at 4.15 a.m. And I was like, I'm good. My girlfriend's in London, and I was checking in with her. She's like, get back to sleep. I'm like, I've had six hours. I'm great. Let's do this. <laughs> I'm looking forward well, to 8 p.m. tonight. Why don't you tell um, our listeners about all of the many wonderful, exciting things that you do? 
Yeah, I uh, so I created Literary Deathmatch, uh, co-created it back in 2006, and uh, and then sort of after the 10th event, kept taking it to different cities, and now we're in 62 cities around the world. As of uh, last week, we were just in Perth, Australia, and um, yeah, so I, I toured the show all over. I'll be, um, I, I'm coming wherever you're listening from, basically, within the next year. Um, and I also write my novel, just got bought so that's gonna i should sign that contract i've been walking around with it for two months um but uh i've i've sold a novel which is really exciting it's after 12 years of working on it and it'll be out next year and what sure. yeah i'm, many, I'm so many happy shipping. for you you didn't even me too. tell me yeah, yeah. I, I i haven't really been talking about it because it doesn't i don't know i figure uh, I'll definitely be talking about it a lot when the time comes. So we'll see how that goes. And uh, I'm a screenwriter. I've got a big project that's going to be releasing as part of EA Sports, um, EA Sports game that's coming out. And I can't say when, but it'll be this year. Uh, and I do stand-up comedy. I'm just, uh, I do very few push-ups, which I would like to do more. I was just mm -hmm. thinking like, wow, I should do some. Uh, yeah, so that's enough. That's I'm the last of eight kids. Moving on. Okay, moving on. Um, I, I have one question that I believe will be the fodder that will sustain us for the next several minutes. Um, and that question is, in a time of political oppression and or turmoil, do we make more and better art? Or is the art we make simply angry and even redundant? Go. I'm very excited to talk about this, by the way. Um, I know so that's I, why I thought of you for this podcast. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I. I just spoke, so I was going to pause, but nobody else immediately jumped in. Uh, I think the first has been. I would go with the first. I think. Um, I don't remember the wording of either of the two options, but definitely the first <laughs> one. Um, what was actually? What was the wording of the first? Uh, do we make more? and better art. Here's what happened to me on November 8th, I believe. I was in Orlando, of all places, and I was sitting next to my best friend that I've been working with for EA of uh, 31 years. And uh, the moment they announced Trump uh, won, I turned to him and I said, well, we're going to see some amazing art over the next four years. And I just think uh, the fuel angers one thing, but I, I think artists are going to be fueled um, by really taking a close look at what's happening and just sort of peeling back layer after layer after layer, and they're going to get to something. I'm, I mean, the book I'm going to start writing in March is something that I couldn't have written. Um, I don't think if the political climate wouldn't have been what it was for 18 months, um, and then him winning sort of cemented the need for it to exist as opposed to, I, I think as a writer, I've struggled since, the internet happened and you go, well, do I, should it, sh are books important or should I be writing screenplays? Should I be, what, you know, what should I be writing? Right. And, right. and this very much gives me a sense that uh, I can, I can do something that's very meaningful that deals with race and feminism in a way that I don't, I don't know that I could have otherwise, but, but yeah. And, and I think, yeah, I, I have a lot of, of trust in myself that that'll come from a place of compassion, actual, actually, and not anger. So that's, I'll fire up that, flair and let you guys talk about whatever you think i i mean for me it's it's well I, I had the opposite reaction where i was like oh god like 
I'm going to have to read so much self-righteous garbage now. Um, that, you know, like sort of, I, I mean, I just remember like during the second Gulf War, being inundated with this kind of, um, just just constantly being room being in rooms with people who were yelling at you ideas that you agreed with right and then when there were ideas that you didn't agree with like like they would go i remember i was i was in new jersey i was doing this workshop for a friend and um there was like a reading beforehand and one of the women read a poem and she said i would rather have my son die of cancer than die fighting for America in Iraq. And I was just like... I think I remember you talking about this. I, 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 this, this has stuck with me for, for going on yeah. over a decade now. Yeah. And it's just like, how are those... Like, one, like, maybe you shouldn't imagine your son dying so much. Like, maybe those aren't... <laughs> like, want to be like, you know... I mean, I, I understand, like, if, if this is, like, something that haunts you, but it doesn't sound like it's something that haunts you. It sounds like something that you're kind of, you know picking between options on and um and and like these aren't choices like like no one chooses that and to and and it it felt like one of these incredible failures of imagination right that that what i don't think anyone whose child is dead would write a line like that right um yeah. and and it felt like you know there's and, and I think right now, like maybe we're moving to another extreme where like you're not allowed to imagine anything. Um, and you know, like the sensitivity readers for young adult novels is a little like, um, I don't know how I feel about this. But, um, but I mean, they're also responding to a problem that exists. Like I'm not gonna say they're not, do you know about the sensitivity readers? I've heard about that, yeah. Yeah, that you can you can submit your whatever group you're writing about, you can submit your novel for like a hundred or two hundred dollar fee to a person who has the experience. So if you're writing about autism, you can send it to an autistic person who'll then give you a reader's report on like what you need to change um because you're not autistic and, and they are. Mm -hmm. But um just as a for example. But I, I don't know, like I mean when when Trump was elected, I thought like, oh my god, like self-righteousness is going to be so dominant in all of our work. And, and I mean, earnestness is my enemy. Like earnestness is what I really resist and find. Um, I, I find earnestness is when people make the biggest mistakes and do the cruelest things right. um, are, are in moments of earnestness. So, so my, my initial reaction was actually like, oh my God, like I don't want to do that. And also like, I was just, I was so, um, incapacitated i mean i spent like yeah uh two weeks just kind of being catatonic and like trying to find jobs in canada <laughs> that's a good one i've been right. living in london I, so i feel both safe and like i gotta get back and help but i really <laughs> think i'm gonna decide, decide on safety yeah i you know our um our cohort marion uh wren was supposed to be with us right now and she's having technological difficulties so she might still drop in during this conversation but um she's talked to me a lot about how it felt to be in abu dhabi when all this was happening and um and feeling even more helpless than we did here maybe you know um not that we, i felt that i could do anything but i think i agree with what both of you are saying that at this in the beginning, I would have said it's all shot to hell, you know, 
but actually um, being at AWP and hearing some of the art that's already being created uh, is helping me, you know. Um, right after the election, we had a reading and people came up to the second floor of the bar where we have it, the Black Sheep in Philadelphia. And um, it was like we were at a wake. Everyone who walked in the room knew somebody else there and just started hugging and crying. Um, and I thought, how will we ever get past this? Like what, what happens to poetry? I mean, maybe this is something to talk about, like is, is making art what we should be doing? Is that how we should spend our time right now? A thousand now? percent, yes. Oh my God, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't, I mean, here's what I think is how much, if you're writing your ass off, how much are you gonna write in a day? You're probably four hours, like if, if you're insane, you'll get like a fifth, a sixth, let's say eight to be strong. That still gives you like an extra eight hours to do something else, um, which I guess some people have to work. but. Uh, beyond that, like, you know, being politically engaged is important and just knowing what's going on. But in terms of creating art, I, I think this is like the most important time. And how we've addressed uh, what's happening with Literary Deathmatch is, you know, we've this next round of shows we're going to do, which will be immigrant based. And we're focusing on having women in the lineup or people of color or LGBT. And it's just like, it's, that's enough letters. Um, and it's like uh, super important to me just to, to like do that because I understand that literature is democracy effectively. That's how I've sort of taken it. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Touring is the opposite of writing. <laughs> literature is democracy, um, words to live by. Uh, but yeah, so that I, I think the importance of creating right now is it, like hugely important. But I do think your point earlier about like don't be insufferable <laughs> and don't don't right. make stupid points i i hope that we're above that but i guess that's what's going to separate the art that's going to matter and the art that we're going to be like eh, go back and work on some things you know right and i should i should give a plug to my husband's project um i'm married to the founder and editor of indolent books and he actually is doing a he between the election and the um, inauguration, he did a poem, he did a project called um, The Transition Project, where he had a poem a day, kind of responding to the situation. And then between the inauguration, and I guess he's planning to do it as long as um, Trump is president, called What Rough Beast. And uh, it's, it's also a poem a day kind of responding to things. And it's interesting to look at, you know, like kind of the work that he's rejecting because it is, um, crass or unthoughtful or simplistic um, and the work that he's accepting that is really kind of um, joyful and powerful and complicated. And I, I was in, I think I was, I forget which one of the projects I was in, but I, I actually, I, I had a poem about being angry and I'd gotten, I, I, I really, it, it circulated in ways that most of my poems don't. I mean, I was getting letters from people I went to like college and high school with telling me that, you wow. know, really awesome. like how they felt. Right. Um, but I was also, I mean, part of what I was, I was trying to talk about in that poem is that one of the narratives that has emerged out of um, this election is the irreconcilability of the two sides, that we are living 
in this space that is so completely this this culture and society that is so completely um, binary that it is impossible to understand who the other side is, and I and I don't think that's true. Like I don't I don't think that it's impossible to understand, and I think that. Um, you know, I mean, uh, the success of a book like um, Hillbilly Elegy, I think, has, you know, kind of in some ways undercut that narrative and in some ways underscored it. That, you know, like, like we need this book to understand who these people are. But I, I don't think it's that hard to understand what it is that motivates a nationalist or what. It, and, and I mean, even the fact that, like, on this podcast, we all, like, I, I, have, I have not been in a single space um other than one since the election in which i thought i was talking to someone who might have supported trump hmm. like not one like like we right. i mean dana joya was a republican and when he got um when he was the head of the nea under w um he really was able to get a larger budget for the nea than they'd ever had before and he did it by doing what seemed like very conservative projects so you know bringing shakespeare to the military um, but could have had, I mean, I, I didn't look into it as, as deeply as I, I should have, but, um, you know, could have had real potential. Um, and there's nothing like that now. I mean, now we're just sort of like, I mean, it's, it, and I don't, I don't think it should be. Um, but there, there is something very, very odd to me about how completely the artistic community seems to be um, on one side of this. There, there doesn't even seem to be space um, to think about an audience that might be different. Yeah, that is, that is interesting. Like the idea that, I, I mean, I guess Trump is so divisive in terms of basically saying women are garbage and people of color, you know, like you might as well trust me because, you know, everybody else is shit all over you. Uh, you know, j just like he was so demeaning. That's, that's the name of a good example, but he was so demeaning to, to religion, uh, religions that weren't white Christian, I guess. Um, and, uh, he was just so horrible everybody was on this one side it's like i can't you know i i remember posting i'm not making a clear point yet but someday i will um <laughs> posting something on twitter which was this question which is like if you vote for a racist candidate is that an act of racism and that's that was sort of a, a question that yeah. was interesting to me because it's like <laughs> or is it yeah I guess, is it a racist act to vote for a racist candidate? I think that's how I phrased it. Yeah. And, and that is, that I think is, you know, the question that a lot of the people on the side of uh, justice and um, thought uh, were sitting. Whereas, of course, the other people have their own version of justice and thought. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. It's, it's yeah, you've said a lot of interesting stuff. I have... Uh, uh, you know, I think that we've had a few wins now, and, and that might be what's making me feel a little bit better. Like the people have spoken not in ways, you know, large enough, and I think we need more wins. But one thing I haven't been able to wrap my mind around or like see a, a, a fix for is exactly what you two are talking about now, the division. Um, I know there was data at the time of how many people, this sounds silly, but it's real, um, lost Facebook friends. And I know many people who lost family members. Um, and I'm saying the word lost because they don't speak 
any longer. Right. Because of how much the the election divided them. I don't know what the fix is there uh, at all, even if, you know, the people can prosper and win in, in ways that we're talking about. I mean, I, I know, I feel for many of us and probably our listeners, they feel the same way Jason does. I think we were so shell-shocked because our worldview, our everyone we associate with was on the same side, you know? So to imagine that many people not is, um, is still very difficult to even believe that there could be anybody that, you know, was behind Trump. Um, and to answer your question, Adrian, yes, I think voting for a racist is an act of racism. Yeah. And, and um, there's no segue for this, but I have to say it, it's driving me crazy. Um, episode 21 of our podcast, sounds like I'm promoting our podcast, but I'm not. I'm promoting an amazing poem that uh, Cynthia Dewey Oka um, read the night of that reading that I was telling you um, was more like awake. She wrote a poem called... Um, Oh, uh, sorry, post-election song of myself. And um, there was quite literally not a dry eye in the house when she was done. So we have an audio um, of her reading that poem on episode 21, if anybody's interested. Cool. Um, in the room with me is Sarah, who's um, really brilliant and, and smart and thoughtful and 20 years old. And I want her to tell us what she thinks about this question and this issue. As a 20 year old? Uh, well, well it, it will be <laughs> a 20 year old perspective no matter what you say. Um, I think it's, I think in some ways we're all speaking truths right now. Um, it's, it's a really frustrating problem. Uh, Jason, you alluded to this where there's this, there's just division um, among our country and there's this idea that, um, um, you know, us liberals, you know, um, people who don't support Trump, who don't support um, racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, um, xenophobia. Uh, we only associate ourselves with people we agree with, you know, and that's, that's typical psychological phenomenon, you know, it just is what it is. Um, and I think that there is a lot of great art being produced right now because of the election, because of this time of of a uh, greater oppression. Um, and I think there's gonna be even more great art over the next four years. The problem that I think that we're facing right now is that none of that art is, is being seen, um, being consumed by people who actually need to see it. You know, the only people consuming this great art um, are people who already agree with it, already understand the, yeah. the strife. Reaching to the converted. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So. Um, but I, can I jump in real quick? Because I think oh, it's, yeah. it's, it, the, the first thing I want to say is it's an interesting thing, the importance of art about this stuff right now is that when I get off Twitter, I, I can't just like watch an athletic contest. I'm kind of like, this is meaningless. <laughs> it's sort of like yeah. created this idea of existential, you know, risk of this, this administration and things like that. And um, the thing you were saying about... Oh God, I shouldn't have opened with that point. My brain is a little jet lag. Um, ah, oh, the, the people who need to read it. And it, I, this is what I will say is that it helps us. I think it really helps me to, to define and create language and talking points to kind of like 
not gotcha stuff, but kind of like, here's how you're being this way and here's how you're not seeing it. And so it, it sort of does give us a fuel to be like, oh, this is a better way to talk about it. Instead of just going like, you know what? You're a racist asshole. But yeah. to be like, well, here's, like, here's a way to compassionately look at it and use the word compassion you're doing. But here's a way to look at it that you might not be seeing it. And I think that's a really big value of, of what you were saying and like the stuff that's being created that helps us. Because yeah, they're not reading it because they're going to be like, oh, it's Hillary Clinton. Let's lock her up before I read ever again or whatever. But uh, <laughs> I'm being the worst version of myself because I'm on Twitter and these things I'm very like conscious I grew up in the world of people and I have two siblings who voted for Trump. I, I, I think that's actually something that I feel like has happened. Like we've all become the worst versions of ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, I definitely do not feel like I am the best version of myself. Um, and the other piece of, oh, I totally forgot what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> it's catching. No, that, that, that there is this kind of circulated outrage and that, that you're right, like actually being able to state why you hold a particular position and actually having evidence that is based in facts and studies and numbers and arguments, um, the deeper we go down um, sort of the isolation of our own group, the less we have to actually do that. Um, the more we're hearing the voices that we agree with. But there's also this other thing where like, um, this, it is so, it's, it's, it, it's so xenophobic, it is so racist, it is so anti-feminist, it is so anti-queer, it is so anti-trans, that it doesn't, it doesn't feel like there's, like trying to find another side in it is sort of like, I was watching Fox News many, many years ago and they were talking about Lincoln Douglas debating and they had a picture of Frederick Douglass like they thought that Lincoln Douglas, they thought that Lincoln Douglas debates had taken place between. They have an infographic and they're showing Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Oh my god! And it's like it's like there's no like you can't sort of like you can't sort of be like well you know we're on this side oh. and you're on that side. It's like no that's wrong. But the other piece, right. the other piece I was going to say is oh. I voted for Clinton and I believed that he had raped Jane Doe number six, and so every time we talk about voting for someone, I really do, I, and, and this, this was a really big problem for Hillary, I, I don't think it's that hard to imagine, but I'm also of an increasingly unpopular position that you can separate the art from the artist and that it's okay to listen to a Wagner opera um, and it's okay to watch a Roman Polanski movie and it's okay to watch a Woody Allen movie. And um, I, I, I've had some really good challenges and some really good pushback that has made me really think about that position in ways that I hadn't before. Um, but I, I still, I still really think that there, there is a gap between who an artist is in their personal life and what they've done and who, what they're doing in terms of the art that they're creating and that they're making. On See, that I, note. I disagree with oh, you on that. And I think, uh, sorry, sorry. I think a lot of people mean. my age also disagree with you on that note that um, you, I feel that you can never separate an artist from their art. However, you know, you, in some ways, like for as, as a writer, you know, it's almost like as writers, it's almost our job to consume writing, like all writing, you know? So 
however, you have to view it with a critical eye that like, you know, the artist is, is wrong or is, is a problem, is offensive. And I think that, yes, you can view media or art um, that was created by offensive artists. However, I don't think that you can separate their ideals necessarily from their art because also so many so much art you know so much poetry and writing stems from who the person is and stems from their past um and present self and i think that for a lot of people my age like once we once we find out like for instance um uh one of the most recent that i can think of um this the um the divorce between johnny depp and amber heard like my friends and I all discussed and we agreed that we would probably never see a Johnny Depp movie ever again. And that he, we refused to support him. Um, because how can you support, because, you know, buying, buying those movies, buying tickets to those movies in a way is supporting Johnny Depp. So right. you're never um, going to watch Edward Scissorhands again. Probably not. I don't know. Uh, that's a good question. Like, can you retroactively? <laughs> yeah. Because also <laughs> Johnny Depp's an interesting example, but also a poor one because I don't think he's ever going to make another. Like, I, I'm, I'm not like, <laughs> what? You're going to give up on Johnny Depp? But I do, like, I struggled with this because I thought Casey Affleck deserved to win Best Actor mm. because uh, even though Fences, I just thought, like, Denzel was playing something that had already been played. You know, so there's all these arguments, and I just thought he did an exceptional thing, but I, I still was like, fuck. Like, could, he, could people just not do things that are horrible. I don't want to get on a Casey Affleck um, sidebar for too long either, but you realize that he, it was, he never went to trial. He, you know, the accusations were accusations and he, you know, I don't, I don't think it's fair that we say he's a sexual offender because we don't know. He was accused but there have been many, many people falsely accused. That's why I would hold out that, you know, that, um, that that's a fake news thing. It's fun to talk about. Uh, fair enough. Uh, I need yeah. to read more on it. I just know that, uh, yeah, so. Yeah, anyway, right. I mean, tough. I don't, I, I think it is difficult. I think I have to say that I'm in Jason's camp though. Like mm -hmm. I will watch a Woody Allen film and I wanted Casey Affleck to win the Oscar yeah. and I can still appreciate the art a person makes. I think the voting question was quite different to vote mm -hmm. for a racist right. is quite oh, different than, definitely, definitely. than um, reading T.S. Eliot. Right. Well that, yeah, because you know? that's another thing. Like you, we find out a lot of people were anti-Semitic horror shows and it's like, do you i mean that's a horrible thing so it, it you have to make that stop reading e. Cummings, right it's like right. i mean uh is he the one i'm thinking of who's the fascist the guy Ezra pound pound yeah, oh, yeah. so like uh, yeah it's i don't like, love Ezra pound but I, was, I will just say like i was talking i was teaching sestinas to my class and when i told them who Ezra pound was they were like let's not read that poem and i was like okay huh yeah I mean, yeah, like, I think a lot of people my age have that same opinion. I don't know. Yeah. My my opinion is one of I'm not alone in my opinion. I don't know right. if it's oh, true. No, it's you're, you're, right, you're but yeah. I think your generation is much yeah. more judgmental, and that sounds like such a negative word to use, but it's yeah. but I, I think do. critical. I think, and I think. I mean, I will still. I mean, obviously, I'm an English major. I have to read um, 
literature uh, from people who were offensive, problematic. Um, I just think that when you, when reading those, uh, when reading that writing, you have to be critical of the artist and you have to, you know, yes, you can enjoy art, but you, ha you, you can't separate what the artist did um, as a person from their art, but you still can consume the art, I think. But I mean, I'm, I'm a writer. I don't, I don't, um, movie, you know, watching a movie is something that I can easily separate myself from because I'm not, um, in any way a screenwriter. I don't, um, act or direct. And so I, it's not in, in a way, it's not my job to take in movie or mu movies or music. Um, and that's why it's easy to say, oh, I just won't watch that film because of the racist. That's, mm -hmm. um, the racist actor. Um, whereas for writing, um, even if it comes from sexist or racist or homophobic writers, I still feel like it's my duty to read them. Um, I just have to be more critical. Right. I've got a question for you, actually. Like, how do you, how do you contend with the idea that uh, generationally people just didn't know or weren't like, didn't give a shit <laughs> about, you know, women, trans, like, like any like whatever it is that we should be like oh right people exist let's honor that and, and not be a-holes about it but how do you deal with the fact do you just say well society like i mean racism and all this stuff uh like how how does that affect you as a reader and and, and like how you're processing the work as you read it well i mean i think also like in in addition to knowing the the writer's um personal life i think you also have to take in work in a, in a um, historical context, if that's what you're right. asking. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. That makes sense, yeah. I, I think, I think um, 10 years from now, we'll have a very strong return to aesthetics. How do you mean? I think that 10 years from now, like sort of new critical theory will kind of have a resurgence, that we're really so focused on um, identity and politics um, that it's going to be so much in the water um, that when we kind of need something to refresh our thinking, it's going to be something like a new critical approach, which does kind of like focus purely on aesthetics. Um, I mean, I always think about the Lenny Riefenstahl problem. Right. Right. Like, Lenny yeah, yeah. Riefenstahl, like, I mean, I can't make it all the way through um, Triumph of the Will. I mean, it's really boring. Um, yeah. but a lot of those shots are really beautiful yeah. and what he's developing is, um, is, a, is a set of filmic techniques that are foundational and at the time were groundbreaking. Um, Olympia is a different story where it's, it's really quite beautiful. Um, and I don't, like in the same thing with like, I don't want to live in a world where I can't listen to Lohengrin if I want to. Um, I don't want to live in a world where I can't watch Lenny Riefenstahl if I want to, or can't show it to my class, or can't, you know, kind of think about it in ways that are purely aesthetic without necessarily declaring that there is no politics, right? I mean, that's, so I, I think that right now we're very focused on a set of politics. And, and as you were saying, like what's happened, and I think this is inevitable, and I don't think it's, it's the wrong reaction, but everything feels politicized. There is no yeah. outside politics right now. There is none. Um, if you go to the Trump White House after you win the Super Bowl, 
you are making a political statement. Like there is no outside to politics at all. And you think that after, I don't know how long, it's going to be exhausting. And we're going to really, there's, there's going to be a group of people who are going to be really desperate and are going to, in order to think. That, and that's the other thing is like, it's harder and harder to think bad thoughts. Um, if at least if you're on the left, um, if you're on the right, then you can actually think almost as the only thing you can't think is pedophilia. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I have, I think this is relevant, but I have um, a friend who's doing online dating and the first question she's asking people is where, if they, if they were Trump supporters. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a fair, <laughs> that's the I don't first wanna... question. There's yeah. no point in talking longer than that, I guess. Right. right? That, isn't that amazing? That's her starting line. Who'd you vote for? Um, so we are kind of running out of time, guys, but if, if there are final parting um, points you wanted to make, we could do a round of those. Or do you feel like we've tapped it out? Uh, we've tapped it out. <laughs> tapped it out. <laughs> We're never tapping it out. I, I, it was interesting, something that came up earlier, but like to me, one of the things that uh, as an artist I'm trying to do is I grew up in the Midwest and the Southeast and trying to uh, understand the people around me uh, from that age and even now is like such, it's so valuable for art and also for humanity. But um, yeah, so I don't know, just like, I think, I think compassion doesn't just have to be for the people on our side uh, when we're working and uh, trying to understand that other people are, they, got sold to bad system. This whole thing is like, uh, like being sold a, a crappy system for dozens and dozens of years that allows this idea that education isn't important or, you know, uh, that everything is a lie or whatever. I, I wanted to read this thing. I don't, this thing's long, so I'm trying to think of it, but, uh, I'm just going to read, start reading and I'll stop in a second, or you guys can start coughing. But this was David Rothkoff, who's a professor of international relations and political science. And he said, Donald Trump championed an avatar of the shallow state, his one power because his supporters are threatened by what they don't understand. And what they don't understand is almost everything, which is kind of mean. But uh, indeed, from evolution to data about our economy, to the science of vaccines, to the threats we face in the world, they reject vast subjects rooted in fact in order to have realities conform to their worldviews. They don't dig for the truth. They skim the media for anything that makes themselves feel better about themselves. This is the last part of it. To many of them, knowledge is not a useful tool, but a cunning barrier elites have created to keep power from the average man and woman. I think that's a really important yeah. uh, thing to think about. And this idea going forward of like, I don't, there's a lot of this idea of like, well, you know, like bring them back to you. And part of me is like, screw it. Like they, they risked a very significant democracy. Uh, uh, a thing like an experiment that's just a miracle and they risk it but at the same time there's this this faction of people who have basically told them don't read you don't need to read you know what you need to know and and things like that and i i hope that if we create the right things and we're conscious over the next x amount of years that actually these people will start looking for that stuff the way that in fact i think they'll start looking to the new york times soon enough is like wait a second there's they, they can't really be making all this stuff up. Um, but yeah, so yeah. I don't know what I just said, but no, no, thank good. you for that quote. Um, we'll, we'll in our podcast pages, um, we'll link to a lot of the stuff that we referenced today. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. Jason, did you have anything before we sign off? 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think we need new ways of thinking. And I and I, I what what I've seen is that everyone is doubling down on what they thought before. That the Bernie um, Sanders supporters are kind of doubling down on Bernie, and you know, sort of saw the Keith Ellison, Tom Perez um, fight as kind of like a rehash of what they experienced during the primary. Um, and I, I just, I really want, like, I'm doubling down myself. Um, I feel it in me. I'm doubling down on kind of public institutions. I'm doubling down on kind of like the value of our institutional ideals being always juxtaposed against the realities of the injustice of our history. Um, but I, I also think that we need new ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. And I hope that that comes through art. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you all. Uh, this episode was filled with a lot less laughs and light than they usually are. <laughs> Um, but in our future episodes, we'll talk about all this great art itself instead of, instead of this. I'm glad we had this conversation. Um, so listeners will have links to things that you need to see, (laughs) um, on our page. Tell us what you think via email or on our event page for this episode and, um, keep reading. Thank you.